Hi, I'm Hope Jones, Director of the Pre-K to 8 Division. Welcome to Darlington's podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with our middle grades teachers, Andrew Beckman from Science, Ashley Evans in Spanish, and Kevin Ivester in Math. We'll be chatting a bit about active learning and skills-based curriculum in the middle grades. Thank you all for joining us today. Welcome to the Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia. Join us as we take a look inside and outside our classrooms and connect with students, teachers, alumni, and more. So as we think about um, active learning and what is active learning, I'm going to sort of throw that first question out to you, um, Ashley. In your Spanish classroom, um, what, give us an example of what active learning might look like for a sixth grader. Okay. Well, fortunately, Spanish sort of lends itself to active learning because we're communicating, and to do that, you have to be talking to each other. Um, so we do a lot of question and answer. Um, we study through the use of novels, so we have a lot of discussions around our novels, um, and we do that in Spanish. And the questions are tiered and sort of level depending on where, and that could happen within each classroom. We have different levels. Um, and then we'll also do things like reader's theater where we'll take a chapter, especially one that was particularly entertaining, and we will act that out. And so they're up and sort of speaking and engaging with the text that way. Um, so yeah, lots of different ways to do it in the Spanish classroom. Yeah. One of the um, sort of interesting ways of looking at active learning is it, it sort of actually um, positions the camera on the student. It allows you to um, create um, units of study and more specifically lessons within your classroom that are very student-centered. Um, and it's, it, it opens the door um, for students being able to not only engage with you as the instructor, but also being able to engage um, with classmates. Um, and Reader's Theater is the perfect way, um, especially as they're learning a new language, um, to be able to engage with the text that you're reading. Um, Mr. Bettman, so in science, um, tell us a little bit about what active learning looks like in your science classroom. Thank you. I was thinking a little bit about what you were saying with student-centered and with science, I think the, the way that you can really engage students in an active learning sort of style, um, if you will, is you really got to think back to how a lot of these kids and even ourselves were um, with curiosity from a very young age. So when you're in a classroom and you want students to really like drive that curiosity that initiates scientific thinking, scientific questions, and then solving for what that answer might be, you really got to find out what their personal interests are. So when you can tap into that, um, they really will do the work themselves. You know, if you're able to get them to do something as simple as what we've been doing the last couple of days, such as getting back into the scientific method with a paper airplane experiment, you know, your classroom might look like an episode of The Simpsons for a couple hours with paper airplanes flying this way and that, but um, you know that they're having fun and you're just trying to give them a little bit of structure so that they can get um, as clear of an answer as they can and, you know, provide a little organization that helps them develop those skills as they age. So it has a little bit of that organized chaos look. Oh, it certainly does. It absolutely <laughs> does. Um, and, and Kevin, in the math class, um, you, you have the opportunity to work with our sixth graders and our seventh graders in, in their sixth grade math class and in their pre-algebra and seventh. 
Um, walk us through a little bit of what, what that might look like um, for students in an active learning environment in a math class. I think a good example of one thing I do in sixth grade every year um, to show kind of an example of active learning would be we do a probability experiment every year and instead of just taking data from the book and trying to learn about probability, we have the kids produce the data, which um, they end up rolling a dice 50 times each, and they end up flipping a coin 50 times each. We record all of the results of those flips and those um, dice rolls, and then we analyze the statistics based on the data that they produce rather than just, you know, looking at random numbers in a book that don't really have any meaning to them. I've found if they produce the data themselves, they have a large stake in that. And it seems a lot more interesting to them if they had 24 heads and 26 tails out of 50 um, coin flips. Um, it makes them realize, oh man, if I had one more of that, I could have had 50-50. Um, we had a real interesting um, result with that um, last year, actually, where we ended up um, flipping a coin I believe it was close to 3,000 times in 6th and 7th grade, and um, after, after all the results were compiled by the kids, they figured out that we only came up one flip short of 50-50, dead 50-50 result. So it's pretty amazing um, to think that we had 3,000 coin flips and it was like 1,549 to 1,000 um, 551 or something like that it was one coin flip away and so you know I had a great teaching moment to use an example to just say if that one person had gotten ahead instead of a tails we would have had dead on 50 50 result um, and so um, the, the, the lesson in that to them was that and I had told them before we started the experiment the more you do an experiment the better chance you have of the odds leveling out to 50 50 might flip a coin ten times and get eight heads but the more times you do that experiment, the better chance you have of it, of it leveling out to 50%. And that was a perfect example that we almost had perfect 50-50 out of 3,000 coin flips. That was a pretty amazing result. But they produced that result. They physically flipped every coin. They rolled the dice. And, um, you know, that was a lot more interesting to them. They're actively participating in their learning rather than just looking in a textbook and reading out the you know, numbers that the page provided and trying to learn about it that way. So I think that's a good example of, of something we do in sixth grade. That's a great example. You know, it, it also sort of lends itself to um, sort of reflecting upon the skills that you're teaching in those units of study and in those specific um, lessons. Um, and, and I want you to take just a moment to think about um, sort of some of the challenges um, as a teacher that um, you have to take into consideration when you are building your units of study around a skill-based curriculum and how you're finding that balance uh, between um, the skills that you are trying to teach where it tends to put the camera on yourself at times, you know, and can um, by default become very teacher directed um, when we really are wanting to turn that camera towards the students and really um, working with a skills-based curriculum in such a way that we're really massaging those opportunities for active learning. Um, can you think about a time where that was possibly a challenge for you, maybe well, in a unit of study you were doing? I'll use that same example. You know, in order for us to have a successful result from that probability experiment, 
the kids had to have a base knowledge to begin with of fractions and decimals and percents. And so, of course, there had to be a time, you know, at some point earlier, earlier on in the year where there may have been some quote-unquote passive learning going on where I'm dispensing information and they're learning how to turn a fraction into a decimal and then into a percent and just the basic, you know, skill of converting fractions decimals and percents but you know once they have that concept down that's when you can get into what we call the active more active stuff the the you know stuff that's more fun for the teacher which is putting the onus back on the kids so that that once they have that knowledge they can then um, participate in that you know type of experiment um, well and that's an interesting point because that really um, there are times in which there are skills that have to be taught prior to a particular active learning experience yep. that you're going to have with the students. And then there are times where you actually present the active learning piece of it right. and the skills come from the backside. Um, so when you're thinking about that, actually throwing that back to you, um, Andrew, um, in terms of even thinking about the paper um, airplane, um, uh, lesson that you were teaching you know what skills were following that opportunity where you had them in this hands-on um, opportunity to create these paper airplanes and then sort of to use that as an opportunity to embed skills well that one's rather not as challenging as um, some other experiments because students already know what some of their paper air, favorite paper airplanes they might have and even if they haven't made some at home before it really only takes about five minutes before they're online and they've got about 50 different choices. All you have to do to really sort of give them that structure and give them a little bit on the front end is just give them a guide, some guidelines. And so it could be something as simple as a data chart. You know, we're gonna make three paper airplanes, we'll throw each of them five times, and we're gonna measure how far each of them go. It's what you do afterwards after they've really gotten that active skills environment and that engagement to where um, you begin to look at some of the things that they collected, some of the measurements that they've done, and then you begin to give them an opportunity to think for themselves on what it might be. For this particular example, um, it was something that they may have not even predicted where they were gathering measurements in feet and inches, but it, they would later on begin to notice, and some of them noticed without me even prompting them that I was gonna be asking for those same measurements in the metric system in centimeters, which perfectly segues into what we're doing next. But, you know, other, other types of experiments that we'll do that really do require some more front-ended preparation are obviously dissections. We do a worm, a frog, a rat, and a pig in seventh grade. Um, and once they have those safety skills down and you've created the safe environment for them to explore these um, organisms, uh, by the time you get to the end of the semester, they, they really show a great deal of confidence. Um, in fact, one of my proudest moments last year was a student of mine um, gave me a toast in a video that his mother had taken him at a dinner where he um, had gone hunting with his friends and cleaned his own squirrel, and he said, if it weren't for Mr. Redman, I wouldn't have ever had the confidence to do this. So, <laughs> fortunately, I did not get a video of the squirrel. It was just the dinner table, but um, I'm, I'm very pleased to have heard that. <laughs> oh, Ashley, so in Spanish, um, think about a time in which um, either the, the skills sort of were um, taught and put in place prior maybe to an active learning experience mm -hmm. or they became the follow-up um, and, and, and the active learning sort of became the pathway for those skills. Can you think about a time you've done that? Yeah, so right now at the beginning of the year, especially with my sixth grade classes and my new students, we start with the super seven verbs because those verbs they have to know before we can jump into any of our texts. And so 
that's what we've really been, so that is me giving them a lot of information. I'm handing them these verbs, teaching them these verbs. There's been a lot of practice, conversation, question and answer in that. But right now I'm really trying to teach them these seven verbs. And so that's the skill they need before we can start reading these texts. Um, so that's sort of that. And then from there, we'll move on to where they'll actually start producing with it. And then they'll be able to write summaries in their own, sort of produce their own language. So that's the exciting part when we start seeing them communicate, take what they're learning, and then start putting it out. That's when we really see the learning take place. Absolutely. And it's interesting as I listen to all three of you talk about these experiences, whether it be from a math class, a science class, or a Spanish class, you can start to see where the, 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 the skills-based part of the curriculum that you're teaching lines up beautifully with the active learning part. And you can start to see where that actually um, actually sort of infiltrates into our other content areas that, that we're actually not specifically talking about today, whether it be English or whether it be history, um, or even through our exploratory options and our art options. So um, this was just a little window into three of our content areas, but how um, really and truly they sort of work together um, to lay those foundation pieces. Yeah, I have a good example of that. Last year, um, Mr. Beckman and I got together and figured out a unit that we would um, kind of teach together in a way um, we timed it so that it worked out he was teaching about in seventh grade science about bones in the human body I wanted to um, teach the kids about proportions in math and so um, we decided to do this unit right after Thanksgiving and before Christmas that little three-week period um, and we took those three weeks while they were learning about the bones of the human body we were studying about proportions of um, what's the proportion of the uh, tibia to your height. So the tibia is at a one to five ratio compared to your height. Your femur is at a one to four ratio. And so we, I had the kids measuring their, their tibias, their femurs, um, their um, head circumference, um, their forearm circumference while they were in Mr. Beckman's class learning what all of the names of those bones were. Um, and so um, once the kids did that, they measured each other in my class. Um, we took the measurements, we um, um, wrote them as proportions in relation to their height to see if their bodies were in proportion to their height. Um, and it just became a good way, again, of producing data that, that, they, that they produced and um, also tying in with science as they were learning the names of the bones that they were measuring. So. That worked out to be a good unit. Their minds are always blown when they see those proportions like come out to be almost perfect. It's yeah. like it's yeah. um, it's pretty hilarious to see the looks on their faces. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fun when they realize that their arm span is at a one to one ratio with their height. It's the same as their height, um, and um, and so their their uh, forearm matches the size of their foot. Those kinds of things. It's it's pretty interesting. They can measure their little brother as well and see that their foot also matches their forearm, um, and uh, it's just a something that you know makes it a better learning experience than just looking through a book and you know reading the word problem in a book about a proportion so i think they learn a little bit more this way well and it sounds as if y'all enjoyed planning uh that unit of study together we did. We did. so it becomes an active learning opportunity for our faculty right. as they collaborate with each other so well i want to thank all of you uh for joining us today and and just sort of um sort of shining a, a, a light into what it's like to be a student in our middle grades. Um, our students are very fortunate um, to have our faculty that are always thinking about ways um, to engage in the learning experience. We're glad that you tuned in to this episode of the Darlington Podcast. 
Tune in each week wherever you like to listen to podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. You can check out today's show notes at darlingtonschool.org backslash podcast. If you have any questions about today's program or ideas for a future episode, send an email to communications at darlingtonschool.org. The Darlington Podcast, a production of Darlington School in Rome, Georgia, is a collaboration between the communication, advancement, and IT teams, and the intro music is alumni produced. See show notes and hear more episodes at www.darlingtonschool.org slash podcast.